Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! And good morning, Solidarity Forever. This is Solidarity Breakfast and this is Annie. And in the studio we've got a new host for Solidarity Breakfast. G'day Kim, how are you? Good, it's wonderful to be here this morning. Yeah, it's actually not raining, it's not too cold and it's okay. Yeah, and uh, what are we going to have on t- today's show? We're going to have uh, a chat with uh, Sheikh from, uh, who's the convener of uh, Refugee, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, convener of Refugee Network Victoria, and she's going to come and talk to us about a whole range of things to do with refugee issues, but particularly about the uh, big march that's planned for tomorrow, Palm Sunday uh, march. Uh, Rally for Refugees. After that, we're going to have a quick interview with uh, the wonderful Rod Quantock, uh, his new show for the Comedy Festival. Of course, it's going to be Rank and File, followed by uh, a little bit of a chat about the Socialist Conference that's coming up. If you haven't heard, we'll give you a little bit of a lowdown on what's going on during Easter for the Socialist Conference. And uh, we're also going to have This Is The Week That Was at about 8.20, following up with a uh, little chat with um, Dr Basil about uh, the New South Wales election and a few other things. I'm so excited and I just can't hide it. Hey Jodie, I'm so excited, I just can't hide it. Oh, just in the words of the Pointer Sisters, hey? What? What's happening? The new 3CR t-shirts are coming out. We had a competition, Kate Reid won it and it's so beautiful. It's got roses and a love heart and then the caption is... Resistance is fertile. Oh, too deadly that, eh? So in order to get one, go to the 3CR website and follow the link to shop. And there's $30. $30? Oh, what a bargain. And $25 for kids. You'll be able to secure one for yourself because they're in hot demand. Yay, get one now. And as I said, Sheikh, convener of the Refugee Network, Victoria, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Annie. Thanks for having me on. Oh, very, very, uh, our great pleasure. I mean, uh, the uh, Minister for, uh, well, they keep changing department, uh, Department of Immigration and, what is it? Border Protection. Border Protection, that's right. Um, He said that uh, all these uh, refugee activists are actually misguided, a small group of misguided people uh, who really just don't have the facts. 
can you give us some understanding of why you think that it's important to be part of uh, a refugee action group? Uh, well, like I, like you mentioned, I'm um, convener of the Amnesty Refugee Network in Victoria, and that's a group of quite a few activists um, around Victoria, lots of little small groups, and we advocate quite strongly against the current policies because we think they're wrong. And there are so many people out there who feel the same way that we do. You know, it's um, you've got to stand up and you've got to say what's right, and grassroots advocacy has a huge place in, a, in our democracy. And why do you think that, the, you know, give us an understanding of uh, the things that are particularly wrong about the uh, policy directions? Well, uh, mandatory detention and offshore detention um, are just disgraceful policies, really. Uh, you know, we're better than that. We, we shouldn't be treating people this inhumanely, especially when they're the most deserving of our protection, I think. The... the um the reports that have recently come out, the Forgotten Children and also the MOSS report into sexual abuse that is affecting refugees that we're supposed to be have a duty of care. I mean, the government in Australia is supposed to have a duty of care for these people. Can you give us some idea of the types of things that have been shown out of those reports? Yeah, well, um, the Forgotten Children report, uh, which was done by the UNHCR, was particularly appalling. Um, there was an inquiry into the mental health of children in, in detention and there was a 12-year-old girl uh, locked up in, in one of the offshore camps who just said, my life is really death, you know. that's That kind of thing to hear from a 12-year-old is appalling and we're responsible for that. Uh, they also found over a 15-month period during two different terms of governments, Labor and the Coalition, that there were 233 uh, assaults of all involving children and 183 incidents of self-harm. Do you think the government has deliberately tried to bury this report? Uh, I think they've deliberately tried to slander it. Uh, they delayed a lot in releasing it, and once it was released, they launched quite a few attacks on uh, Gillian Triggs, the commissioner of the UNHCR, and uh, Tony Abbott called it a blatantly partisan report, which is quite frankly ridiculous. It, um, it was quite scathing of, of both governments. Uh, yeah, get both parties or the approach to this particular issue. Now, it's interesting because uh, Dutton has uh, recently been repo reported saying that, um, uh, you know, what are all these people complaining about that uh, basically places like Nauru have got uh, facilities, medical facilities that are uh, better than um, some parts of a country, Australia, and that, in fact, it's, they're better facilities than in uh, war-torn Afghanistan. I'm not quite sure. I mean, he didn't say war-torn, I'll have to say. But uh, they're complaining for nothing, they say. Um, do you have uh, any uh, reactions to these kind of uh, um, methods of uh, self-promotion that the government's doing at the expense of these people's welfare? Well, really, we can't tell what's actually going on in the camps because there's no transparency at all. There's no access for journalists. There's no uh, inquiry by the government that, that we can uh, trust that's coming out. Amnesty went to Manus Island uh, and did a report about a year and a half ago and they found the conditions appalling. They called it tantamount to torture. I don't think that... Um, and that's acceptable at all. And um, they, they can't come out and then say, well, everything's fine there when we know that it's not, you know. What, 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 what are you hoping to achieve? I mean, tomorrow there's going to be Palm, the Palm Sunday rally and 
I mean, if a person has no religious uh, context at all, Palm Sunday is the, and, you know, forgive me for stating the obvious, Palm Sunday is the, in the Bible, the uh, week before Jesus Christ goes in to become uh, the sacrificial lamb. They have, uh, the crowds are out there putting down palms for him on his donkey going into town, which is, you know, the the Bible is... Um, a great propaganda tool. <laughs> I mean, it has some beautiful sort of pictures. Now, Palm Sunday is all about peace and yes. and uh, uh, community involvement and focusing on uh, uh, how to uh, work together. But obviously, I mean, if, you know, even in that story, Jesus Christ gets killed, hit on the head and, you know, <laughs> the story goes on. What, what's what's going to happen on Palm Sunday? What are you, you aiming to do? Well, I think we're trying to build up a strong movement of people standing up and saying this is not okay, this is not going to happen on our watch. Um, it is not just relig- religious organisations. Uh, like I said, Amnesty are involved and quite a few other advocacy groups and non-advocacy groups as well, local councils, people who are just standing up and saying this is an issue about humanity and we need to make it make it a change. In fact, there's a, an impressive list of uh, people who have endorsed. Yeah. How, how big is that list? It's um, over 50 endorsing organisations now. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is pretty pretty fascinating, isn't mm. it? Um, the uh, the um, Tell us about the day, you know, what's going to happen, what time, where do people go, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, well, uh, we're meeting at 1.30 at the State Library on Swanston Street. There'll be a bit of music from some great musicians, uh, and then we'll start the speakers at about 2 o'clock. It's going to be emceed by uh, Corinne Grant, and we'll have Mary Crooks speaking, Daniel Webb from the Human Rights Law Centre, uh, Mohammed Bakiri, who was a refugee, uh, detained for almost three years, actually, uh, himself and Ian Smith from the Victorian Council of Churches. I was wondering um, how people who are inspired by Sunday or who can't make Sunday but would really like to be involved, how they can uh, keep being involved in pro-refugee advocacy yep. into the future. Um, well, there are a lot of advocacy groups out there. Uh, I belong to one of the best ones in my humble opinion, I think, um, the Amnesty uh, Refugee Network. And there's always events going on. We've got a trivia night on Monday as well at Loot Bar. That's all refugee-themed to raise awareness about the issues. Uh, there's really, if you just Google it, there's lots and lots of different organisations that you can join and contribute to. Now, it's interesting because uh, there's another group, because uh, there's a really lot of people who are going, and, and, and you, you've got an, an idea that about 10,000 people might turn up tomorrow in Melbourne. Uh, but it's not just in Melbourne, is it? No, it's a, it's a national action and a global one as well. There are rallies going on in all of the major cities in Australia and some of the smaller ones as well, like Cairns. There's also the Allied uh, Australians Overseas Against Mandatory Detention who are uh, coordinating an action, an online action, for Sunday as well. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah. And um, for people, as uh, Kim was saying, if you want to be involved, uh, you could go today. You could go to uh, trades, uh, trades Hall up in the corner of Ligon Street and Victoria Street in Carlton and help out with uh, the, a working bee, as well as painting banners and placards, the uh, Refugee Action co- uh, RAC. What, what is that? That's the... Res- uh, 
collective. Right? Collective, yeah. that's right, the collective. C's. All these letters, letters, letters everywhere. But anyway, they're going to be doing placards and banners in the car park at the Trades Hall um, car park. It's a great way to uh, get to know people who are involved in this sort of thing. Working together always inspires great uh, bonds. Uh, as they say, it's an opportunity to learn new creative and storytelling skills. Refugees and asylum seekers are especially welcome to attend. Help us to take your voices and your stories to Melbourne streets on Sunday. So it all starts at uh, 2 o'clock? Uh, yeah, there'll be music from one we We're going to actually walk at 2 o'clock. <clears throat> there'll be uh, some more speakers. We're walking down to the gardens, and once we're there, we've got a few activities planned. There'll be uh, face painting for kids and balloons, some stalls from uh, organisations like the ASRC and the Humanist Society as well with information. So if you're interested in joining them as well, you can come down to the gardens after 3 o'clock. We'll be there. Thanks for coming, Jake. Thank you very much. You're on uh, 3CR Solidarity Breakfast with Kim and Annie. And good morning, Rod. How are you? Very good, thanks, Anna. How are you? Good. So, uh, as we said, listeners, we've uh, got uh, Rod Contock out of bed. He actually does get up early in the morning. (laughs) Very rarely, but uh, (laughs) thanks for making me get up early in the morning. It's beautiful, the morning, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. You should see more of it. (laughs) Um, And in the studio with me is Kim Doyle, who also wants to hear about your... uh, It's your um, new show, is it, for uh, the Comedy Festival? Yes, I'm doing a, a show called Drive Time with a, a friend of mine named Fiona Scott Norman. Um, Saturdays at five thirty, Sundays at four thirty, in the beautiful Spiegel Tent. Oh wow! In front of the Art Centre. Wonderful. And, uh, it is. Oh, it's beautiful. It's very, very elegant and sophisticated, much like myself. <laughs> and um, yeah, <laughs> uh, and so it's sort of a one-stop shop for people who want to work out who to go and see and what to do at the festival. So it's a, a variety show, I suppose, with lots of festival uh, people coming in each week and performing or chatting or jumping through hoops or whatever. Um, and uh, shh, there's almost no politics in it. Oh. Yeah, just every now and again uh, we sacrifice a, a, a little uh, effigy of Tony Abbott or Joe Hockey or something like that, but we do it quietly and discreetly. And it's more a religious ceremony, is it? Yes, it is. I think that's not very nicely put, thank you, Kim, that's exactly what it is. And uh, we all strip to the waist and uh, paint ourselves in paint and dance around uh, the dying effigy of our political uh, betters. But that's all. That's the only political stuff in it. So it's uh, yeah, it's just a, an opportunity to uh, come and see um, comedians you might never have heard of before or heard of but never seen. So it's just a chance to to see whether you want to go and see them at the festival or uh, reject them forever. So and, does uh, cross does them that your list. Yeah, does that mean that you're sort of kind of you and your mate are emceeing uh, a series of yeah, people? Yeah, we're the hosts. It, yeah. You're the hosts. Oh, it's that's a, a nice idea. Yeah, it, it's a radio show with no broadcast. So, uh, <laughs> Perhaps we should have got in there. What it is. Yeah, should have, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they should have organised it. <laughs> yeah. And, so and... Uh, there's, there's over 500 shows this year at the festival, I think. And anybody who's opened the program and just gone, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Um, this is one of those shows where uh, we can do some of that, oh, my God, for you. So, so, so let's say it's five and four o'clock, like four o'clock on five thirty and uh, Saturdays, four thirty Sundays. Oh, good. Okay, I've got it. I can even repeat it later when um, I'm a more more awake. (laughs) 
Well, it's, it's a very intimate space, the uh, Spiegel tent. I have been in there myself uh, for various performances and it, you can almost feel like you're touching the performer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, it's really fantastic. And uh, it's just, you know, it's got all that history about it. It's really beautiful inside and it's quite nice outside too. So yeah, it's a special sort of place. Um, and, you know, uh, there's 10 of them now. Uh, they've cloned the Spiegel tent. They're all around the world now. Oh, right, um, okay. Yeah, so uh, there was one original one that somebody found in a shed or something and put back together, and since then uh, they've made a few more. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to be, and uh, it's just out the front of the Arts Centre, so, uh, you know, you can go and look at... Um, do they have any Picassos there anymore? Or, or oh, probably one little one. Yeah, okay. Uh, at the moment, they've got the uh, Chinese the exhibition. China, yes, I know. It looks fantastic. Yeah. Don't, well, don't worry about Ash. I go to the Chinese exhibition. Yeah, well, actually, you know, I, I went to China time. and uh, and uh, that particular emperor is the one that's responsible for the uh, terracotta warriors. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, well, then, yeah, look, don't worry about my show. Go and see the uh, Chinese exhibition because the more you know about China, the easier it will be when they conquer us. <laughs> That's about right. Um, yeah. the, <laughs> they'll do it with a smile. They're very, they're, they're very charming people, you know. Oh, I'm sure they are. As a general rule. <laughs> yes. um, the, uh, uh, you know, I went to see your last uh, performance uh, uh, in the last round of uh, comedy stuff, and uh, when I, when I heard that you wanted to have a chat again about a show, I thought, "Oh my God, he's uh, having more farewell performances than Dame Nellie Melba." Oh, that's uh, yeah. No, that wasn't a farewell. That was just a celebration of, uh, uh, I think, my forty fifth anniversary. Oh, right. Of, uh, performing, yeah. No, you'll know. Uh, you'll know the, the, when I've got to my last show. Um, you, you get a very special invitation for that. But, uh, no, that was just um, 45 years since I uh, first performed at Melbourne University. So that was a retrospective, I suppose. Well, it was funny, and uh, I, be- I very much enjoyed it. Uh, and it was to a packed house at the Athenaeum, so that must have been gratifying. Yeah, it, was. it was incredible. Oh, yeah, no, it was wonderful. It's uh, uh, very rare that I uh, get that many people to my show. There are so few people left on the left uh, that we really... Uh, well, look, I could do it in a caravan and uh, probably have a few spare seats. So uh, this is an opportunity just to leave all that uh, left-wing socialist communist rhetoric behind and just have fun. So, uh, yeah, this festival will just have fun. It's the 29th festival, and I think I'm the only one left who did the first festival. So uh, you can come down and have a look at an an antique. I was wondering, Rod, about your first performance at the University of Melbourne, since I'm at the University yeah. of Melbourne at the moment. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, the Architects Review. Um, and I don't know whether it still goes on now. It must almost uh, be on its last legs if it hasn't finished. But, and architects aren't funny, project. you know. Yeah. Generally so speaking. Was, uh, yeah. So it was... Uh, goodness me, those balloons are very low going past my window. Oh, wow, that's so exciting. Um Yes, so the Architects Review uh, created quite a lot of people uh, who didn't become architects but uh, went into comedy or other art forms, and um, and it was a it was a fantastic review. The first year I did it, there were sixty people on the stage, I think, uh, each night, and by the time I left there, it got down to twelve. Um, just with the 
pressures of uh, continuous assessment is what they brought in in the middle of my career. Uh, when I first went there, you only had to do four weeks' work a year and you could, uh, you could get a degree uh, and spend a lot of time protesting against the Vietnam War at the same time. So they worked out the best thing for universities was for people to be under so much pressure they couldn't protest anymore, and they don't. It worked. Mm, we went silent because, uh, yeah, although they did have a big mass rally on uh, Wednesday around uh, fees, fees. I went to that. So there. Oh, did you? How was it? Yeah, it was good. It was very lively, very angry. Mm. Oh, well, they're young, you see. They can do that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> devils. Well, I think it's very far-sighted of the people who are organising the 29th Comedy Festival to have uh, got you to spruik for them. Oh yes, it's uh, oh well, look, it's a wonderful thing. It, it's, I think it's I think it's Melbourne's largest cultural festival in terms of shows and people who attend it. Uh, it's even more popular than the spring spring racing carnival. I can remember so when it began. Yeah, yeah. I, you can I, bet on me too. Yeah, you can bet on me. Yeah, if you ring uh, Mr. Warthouse. Yeah, that's right. But you anyway, go speak on. To his dog, of... Speak to his dog. Speak to his dog. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, I remember uh, John, Pin- uh, John Pinder, was it? Who was, that's uh, right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, brought the kindling for the comedy festival. People probably yeah, no, have he, no uh, understanding of that. Yeah, he, uh, he did that. He got the state government to back it and... Uh, and uh, the Melbourne City Council and uh, both organisations still back it. Um, but not much. I, I, I don't think they give much more than half a million dollars or perhaps three quarters of a million dollars to it, um, which, considering how big it is, isn't a lot. It's for, it's self-sustaining in terms of tickets and so on. And uh, so, yeah, it's a bit of a triumph. Uh, a lot of people who've never been, and I always recommend people who, to go and see somebody they've never heard of and then go and see one of the people they've seen on television if they have to. Um, but, yeah, it's a chance to not only support somebody who's starting out, but uh, to see somebody who may next be, be the next big thing in comedy. <coughs> oh, or they me. could equally be appalling. Yeah, well, no, that's all right. That's OK about comedy. Yeah, well, that's yeah, the thing. I, I went to a couple of shows uh, not too long ago that were just marvellous, absolutely marvellous. The really? people, the this uh, person... It was a while ago, I suppose, but uh, this uh, person did um, a whole piece, uh, including um, projections onto a, a, a cartoon projection of silhouettes on a shirt. I thought that was just oh, terrific. Wow. Yeah, it was. It was truly terrific. Oh wow! Hmm. That's cool. It really was. So- and it was about depression and, and his cousin killing himself. And in, fu- in and I know that sounds like a very unfunny thing, but it was possible for you to go away not only being reflective but amused. Yeah, no, there's a few shows like that in the festival. In fact, we're, uh, we've got a few of those people coming in uh, on Sunday afternoon, three or four people who are doing um, shows around those sorts of issues and talking to them about how you make it funny. Because... <laughs> You can make it funny, but uh, it takes a bit of work, and you've got to be very clever. Yes, I think Ruby uh, Wax does that <laughs> quite well. From she's yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, we tried to get her, but she, yeah, she's only doing one show, I think, and most of her time spent doing interviews with people and uh, um, talking to people in the you know mental health uh, industry. 
but yeah, she's a yeah, comedy can be very powerful, and she's a very good example of the power of comedy. Okay, tell us about the Spooking Times again. Oh, it's four uh, thirty on Sunday and five thirty on Saturday, and it goes for uh, an hour and a quarter, which is you know not too bad. Um, and in the beautiful Spiegel tent on the forecourt of the uh, art centre. Do and, you, do um, people have to pay? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. how much? Yeah. How much oh, is it? It's probably, I think it's twenty and twenty-five or something like that. Do you have to book? Uh, look, it doesn't hurt, but you can just roll up. It's quite a big tent, and uh, so there'll always be a seat for somebody there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And so it, and and, and yeah. as I said to people, uh, the actual experience of going into the building is lovely. Oh yeah, you know it is. It's a bit very. Uh, very quaint, very pretty, and you can take a drink in. I'm a bit of a space spaces junkie. I love going into different types of spaces. Oh, yeah. Well, look, so do I. And uh, over the years, I've performed in toilets and palaces. <laughs> uh, on the street. My, oh, no, it's not my first tent. I have performed in tents, but it's actually not a tent. No, no, no. It's a solid I don't object. I why they called it a tent. Anyway. Yeah, so if you if you like spaces and can't be bothered with comedy, come. And if you like comedy and not interested in spaces, you can come as well. There might even be people in the spaces. There better be. <laughs> they also have a bar at the back, you know. Yeah, I know. I know. It's, it's all full of the mod cons. Um, oh, just before we let you go, I was going to ask you, um, being a man of lively mind, are you enjoying the interaction with younger comedians? I, look, I I, uh, I do. I, I haven't uh, I haven't had an opportunity this festival yet. Uh, so we only we open today. So I haven't had much to do with the festival. But no, it's uh, it's interesting. There really are some fantastic young comedians who basically seem to step out of the cot onto the stage, <laughs> and they're confident and they're uh, they're funny. Um, and some of them do go on to... It's a, it's a really hard way to make a living these days, but some of them do break through and uh, go on to have successful careers. Uh, and really what people need to do beyond buying a ticket for my show or any show at the festival is to uh, support those little rooms around Melbourne that are there every week uh, where newcomers get an opportunity to uh, try out their stuff. So, uh, yeah, if people are interested in comedy, just through and see the ones that are on in St Kilda on a Monday night or Brunswick on a Sunday night or Paran on a Tuesday night or whatever and uh, yeah, just support the comedy throughout the year. Uh, that's an important thing to do. Thanks for see getting up in the morning, mate. Thanks, Rod. Uh, that's a great pleasure. I can't go to go now. Yeah, you can go to bed. <laughs> <have me>. okay, <laughs> bye. Bye. All your promises have been broken now. I'm Jermaine Greer, and you're listening to 3CR, Treaty Now. And welcome back to another edition of Rank and File Radio on Community Radio 3CR, and in the studio, once again, I'm joined by uh, Chris White. Welcome back to the program, Chris. Good morning, Okay, and on today's program we're going to discuss the uh, ACTU's National Day of Action coming up on this Wednesday, March the 4th. Uh, Chris, 
Yes, I think it's a real opportunity to campaign against Abbott hockey. Uh, perhaps we better drop the word Abbott out. He might not be Prime Minister soon. But anyway, the uh, government... And the government, this government is acting for the 1%, the corporate rich, and they're really attacking workers, working class families and the poor. So here's the opportunity for workers and citizens to come along to the rallies. What are the times for the rally all throughout Australia, Marcus? OK, we'll start off with the Victorian rally, which uh, kicks off at 10am from Victorian Trades Hall. That's the corner of Victoria and Ligon Streets, Carlton. And the workers uh, will be marching through the streets of Melbourne, as they have been doing for... 159 years since they first took to the streets to demand an eight-hour day. So this is, uh, what will we doing again? Uh, fighting bad government, that's 10 o'clock uh, at Victorian Trades Hall. That's on Wednesday, March the 4th. And then in Sydney, it'll kick off at 12.30pm at Parliament House, Macquarie Street, Sydney. This is for the listeners uh, listening on this live stream also at Newcastle in New South Wales from the Newcastle Town Hall at 10am in South Australia. The Adelaide March will kick off at midday at Light Square, Curry Street, Adelaide in uh, the nation's capital, Canberra, quarter past 12 outside the new Parliament House in Canberra. Across to Perth, the march at 12.30 in Perth at Parliament House in West Perth and then the Brisbane March will kick off at midday at Parliament House, George Street, Brisbane, uh, Townsville, also in Queensland, take place at 4.30 in the afternoon, Ross River Road, Cranbrook, up in Mackay at 4.30, Milton Street, Mackay, and then down to Tasmania, two rallies taking place at Hobart, 12.30pm, Franklin Square, and Launceston, 8am, Princes Square, Launceston. And finally, in the Northern Territory, Darwin, at 4.30pm, Bennett Park. Yes, we urge everybody to get your families to come along, your workmates. Uh, this is very, very important. And also I think we can say that uh, there'll be thousands coming to these rallies and we want more national rallies in 2015. The other point which we made last week is that workers should not be intimidated by the government, by Minister Abetz, and by employers who try to threaten people, try to warn people not to exercise their democratic right to protest. Now, workers do have democratic rights, and one of them is to express our political opinions, in this case against Abbott government. Workers, of course, have many, many concerns. And Chris, the ACTU conducted a survey of unionists. Uh, can you tell the listeners about the results of the union survey? Yes, well, there were over 43,000 unionist surveys, and workers have very, very strong concerns. 74% said Australia is moving in the wrong direction. 76% disagree that the budget must be balanced regardless of consequences. 94% know that Abbott and the Liberal government will reduce rights at work. 83% don't want the GST to be increased. 85% are very worried that penalty rates will be cut out. 92% are worried the minimum wage will be cut. 95% worried about the unemployment and about 90% about job security. 87% are worried about GP co-payments and threat to Medicare. 91% worried about higher education fees. 82% childcare has become less affordable. 93% are aware that the government wants to cut your superannuation. Unionists want superannuation increased. And a huge number, 94% are worried about privatisation. 
Now, <coughs> as well of all of this, there are many, many budget cuts to the vulnerable legal centres, environment centres, disability centres, housing, homeless, worse for Aboriginal people, and again, the government is acting on behalf of the corporate agenda, the Business Council of Australia, the 1% rich, so again, make sure people come along. What's some of your uh, ideas about getting people along to the rallies and what the rank and file should be doing? Well, workers once again are under attack from this conservative liberal government. I mean, um, the things that workers have long, hard and fought one are now under attack again from uh, Abbott and his mates. And as you said, Abbott might not uh, be around to see this rally through, but whoever it is, we've got to stand up to this government once more. I mean, the government are out to cut wages, conditions, our rights at work. They haven't discounted the fact of individual contracts being brought back on the table Again, all these conditions were won because workers and the unions before us stood up and fought for these things. Again, uh, Medicare, which was won by workers, taking action back in the 70s. $100,000 university degrees. What, what hope do working people have? That, again, cutting the ABC and other public, public services, as you already mentioned. The pension and superannuation. Superannuation, uh, that was a, a struggle back in 1978. The Stormen and Packers took up the issue launched an 18-week strike here in uh, Victoria and saw the, the Woolworths Distribution Centre workers, as it was back then, the first blue-collar workers, winning superannuation. All of these gains weren't gifted to us by government or the boss. Workers have fought for these things, so it's our obligation to once again, this Wednesday, to get out in the street and continue to fight and tell tell the government we're not going to, uh, not going to stand for it. So I we hope... The lessons of the Your Rights at Work campaign have been learnt. And I think a lot of workers now understand that maintain maintain the rage, no matter which government governs, as we saw in the Your Rights at Work campaign from 2005 to 2007. A, a long campaign, rallies built momentum where there was 50,000, 60,000 people marching in the streets. On the weekdays, it got to the point... Uh, where the Liberal government was chucked out, Labor came in and the ACTU changed the slogan of your rights at work worth fighting for to your rights at work worth voting for, which sent the wrong message. I think that's a very good point, Marcus, because uh, Labor governments really only implement any changes and uh, with they've got uh, movements, mass movements, pushing them on all uh, fronts. Yep. And it was true, the, one of the major lessons from the rights at work rallies was that it was a very great pressure. We managed to get rid of Howard, and I'm sure with the rallies that we can have after the March the 4th, we're about to get rid of the Liberal National Government as well. But unless we keep on with the campaigns on what workers' needs and pressure the Labor government, then we won't get anywhere. And there was some good momentum building up here in Victoria. Last year, in uh, February last year, we had the rally against the Summary Offences Act, the Move On Laws, 25,000 people on a weekday, and then we saw 50,000 people at the Bust the Budget rally in August of last year, the campaign uh, building up. We also saw some good attended rallies on a Sunday, but the fact is the government or employers probably won't be too scared when we come out on a Sunday Yes, they were well attended, but what we need to do as workers is hit the boss at the point of production to cost the boss money, and that's only then that uh, the Liberal government and the industry groups will stand up and take notice when uh, 
Tate, we're taking money out of the boss's pocket. On the subject of bosses, uh, our friends John Holland uh, have been at it again. Chris threatening workers over this rally. Yes, I think it's an absolute um, travesty and a disgrace that in a so-called democratic society you get a big company such as John Holland threatening that if workers attend, they'll start to find them. Now, obviously, some workers might have to lose a few hours' pay, but to have this double penalty on top is an absolute disgrace. That's why this rally is also to fight for the right to take industrial action, to express your political opinion. And we've got to take this fight right up to Labor to make sure they amend the laws so that companies such as Holland's, has no opportunity to try and threaten workers. So again, it's just a typical uh, threat by this sort of company. And John Holland want to take a good hard look at itself. I mean, they were responsible for the death of 35 young workers back in 1970 on the Westgate Bridge collapse. So uh, poor form, John Holland. Yes, and again, we just might have to check this uh, when we get back, Marcus, but I believe that it might have just been purchased by a big Chinese company, and if that's the case, we're going to have problems with the recent free trade deal uh, where we get this Chinese company wanting to bring in on these visas cheap labour. Now, we don't want that. Obviously, we work with any Chinese workers, but we don't want them coming in to undermine our rights. Okay, so the workers, when you go back to work on the Monday and Tuesday in your own workplaces, push your delegates, uh, raise the issue through uh, toolbox meetings, jump on the phone to the union and really put the pressure on for the unions to call their workers out for this rally on Wednesday, March the 4th, as is our uh, political right to strike, Chris. Yes, and I think um, for all of those who want something more than just a um, very good walk down the streets protesting. I think we should make sure that we have uh, plenty of music, get some drumming coming along, a bit of singing, a bit of uh, chanting. And one or the other, whether this is going to happen now or at the next rallies, it is possible with large numbers to allow people to have some sort of say in where do the rallies go next. I remember at one time we weren't quite sure, admittedly not as Bigger rally as in um, Melbourne you get, but uh, in Adelaide we had a rally of 4,000. I said, now, this is the end of the rally, but if you want to stay and debate and meet everybody, have a bit of solidarity with everybody else, some go to the eastern, western, northern and southern corners. To our surprise, everybody stayed, they all debated up, and they decided that in each one of those areas they'd start up a union community campaign. So um, I don't know whether it's going to happen for these rallies on March the 4th, but certainly at uh, plenty of other mass meetings and rallies, we can encourage the people participating to have some say. And that's right, and for those workers uh, listening in, um, in their communities where there is not a rally, organise a rally at your local parliament uh, member, particularly where it is a member of the coalition. Organise your own community events, take the matter up in the workplace. Uh, that is democracy participation. Uh, democracy isn't going to the ballot box once every four years, but taking to the streets whenever the government tries to impose uh, bad law. Yes, it's. Um, I think that's essentially what uh, we have to do. This is a very good opportunity, which people will be doing all around Australia, to express solidarity with each other's campaigns so that the we know that the uh, nurses still have to argue strongly for public 
funding for health, so they keep and maintain uh, staffing. Uh, we know manufacturing workers are campaigning uh, to try and save the industry, to save uh, jobs, uh, waterfront issues, building industry uh, issues, teachers. Uh, we still haven't got the proper funding uh, for our schools. All of these issues, it's an opportunity for people from those work sites to uh, stretch across. If you're a nurse and you don't know somebody from the MEA, go across and say hello. If you're from the construction industry, go across and say hello to the teachers and to the NTU. Unless we build this solidarity, not only solidarity within unions, but across unions, and also start doing it nationally, then we won't have an effective voice nationally. It's all right to just have your enterprise bargaining and organise at the workplace, but we've also got to work out how do we develop the movement nationally. And I should also say, of course, internationally, because what's happening from Abbott is the same thing happening to workers and working families all throughout the world. And that's right, we're all workers, uh, we all share that same struggle and uh we gain our strength through our numbers and we've got to remember there's more of us than what there is of them. So if we do stand united, we can we can topple them. And you've been listening to another edition of Rank and File Radio on Community Radio 3CR. Again, the Melbourne rally of the National ACTU. Uh, rally for your rights. Melbourne at Victorian Trades Hall. 10am the march will kick off. Corner of Victoria and Ligon Streets, Carlton. It's important all workers come along, community members and even those workers who are not in a union, that'll be a good opportunity, an introduction to unionism. You're listening to Radio 3CR, and I am Associate Professor in History, Claire Wright. And you're back in the studio with Annie and Kim on Solidarity Breakfast. And so, uh, Kim, you've got the uh, information that we all are dying to know about the fantastic Marxist 2015 conference that's on on Easter weekend. Yes, well, I've been the past couple of years, but I think that the speakers uh, this year are quite impressive. Really impressive, yeah. I think so too. So give us a lowdown on um, which ones impressed you the most. Oh, that's yeah, that's difficult. Uh, well, I suppose. No, that's a really terrible capitalist sort of notion, isn't it? You know, we'll grade them now. Yes. <laughs> well, I suppose uh, one person that caught my attention uh, was Amir Hass, who is she lives in Ramallah in the West Bank. And she's the only Jewish-Israeli correspondent on Palestinian affairs that actually lives with the people that she's reporting on. Oh, wow. So she's, you know, incredibly brave. She's also the child of a Holocaust survivor and was born in Jerusalem. And she's going to be speaking on reporting from the front lines in Palestine. But she's also going to be doing a special reading of excerpts from her mother's diary Oh, uh, from a concentration camp in um, uh, Belson, Belson. So I'm also really looking forward to that, although I imagine it'll be quite difficult. Yes, that's right. But uh, extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. Mm. And I suppose uh, quite relevant to what's going on in the US at the moment, there will be Emery Douglas, who is, uh, he was the Minister for Culture for the Black Panther Party. Uh, from 1967 until the early 1980s. And responsible for an awful lot of the iconography that goes with the Black Party, uh, Black Panther Party, right? Yes, well, he's, also, he's going to be bringing a special exhibition uh, which is called Freedom, the Art of Black Liberation, and he did 
all those sort of iconic front covers um, of their publication that actually showed to black people being strong and being free, which was obviously not And beautiful. Exactly. Black is beautiful. Mm. Yeah. And we're going to have, well, I think one person that I would really like to see is um, Curry Peterson-Smith, who is, um, he was a participant um, in the Black Lives Matter movement in Boston, USA. Yeah, yeah. Very important stuff that's going on in that uh, Black Lives Matter. This is a a hugely important process going on in America at the moment. Yeah, it's quite incredible. You're seeing these are the activists who are going to make up, you know, the second civil rights movement, um, you know, in America. Um, But there's also going to be speakers, incredibly impressive speakers from Australia. I think most people uh, know about Gary Foley. And you can't really see Gary Foley enough times. I've seen him, I suppose, the last four years or something like that. And he just gives the most amazing presentation not only of um, indigenous struggle um, and indigenous history but also the labor movement and he's uncovered things in his phd that you know that people don't really talk about the the links between um the labor movement um and the indigenous struggle in fact indigenous laborers and struggle Mm, that's right okay yeah as well as of course um uh, marjorie thorpe's going to be there so uh there's um, and Sam Watson, so those people will bring um, real lived experience um, to this kind of discussion. Uh, and at the moment, of course, with the forced removals, uh, as well as everything else that is related to the abysmal um, policy arrangements that are in relation to Aboriginal people. Yeah, Kylie Sambo is also going to be there and she's one of the traditional owners of Muckety where they led a successful campaign to stop the waste dump on their traditional land. Yeah, great victory. Yeah, so I think it is the largest um, grouping of radical uh, Indigenous activists in Australia, Mm. which, you know, we really need to build this for the fight back. And also the thing that's really important is the fact that uh, a big change, there's been this big shift, it would appear to me, that uh, where Aboriginal people are being given the lead, uh, no, not given, taken the leadership, and this has informed activism in Australia, uh, and I presume that must also have effects with First Nations and other activism around the world. So it's important for people to have their ears wide open to this, I think. Yeah, there's also going to be other speakers like Anand Gopal who has served as a correspondent in Afghanistan and Iraq as well um, and um, Enoch uh, McCann who is, I think he's one of the most prominent civil rights activists in Northern Ireland. Uh, he yes. was um, author and journalist and penned the iconic autobiography um, War in an Irish Town which is about the Free Dairy Movement of 1969 of which he was Apart, so I, I find that quite interesting as it goes a bit into, you know, my family history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right, exactly. And uh, I guess my own. Um, the uh, if, if people want to know, we have to move on because uh, the program is so spectacular. But we have to move on to Kevin's. This is the week that was. But if you want to know more about it, you really should uh, do a uh, Google search: Marxism 2015. Socialist Alternative are presenting this uh, weekend, which they have done over a number of years. Uh, Redflag.org.au. And it starts Thursday. Starts Thursday. At the Victorian College of the Arts. And welcome oh. back to another edition of Rankin. Mistake. 
A weak solidarity bricky team lister when retail workers, shop workers, shop assistants discovered the meaning of a penalty rate. It's the rate they pay their union to negotiate away their wages and conditions. Well, at least it's lived up to its name. They've certainly been shocked. But really, the union has just been responsible, recognised it has a duty not only to its members, but to the country as a whole. So in cutting the wages and conditions of young, casual weekend workers, it explains to them that they are destroying the national economy, crippling their caring employers, and the sundry caring employers' property associations have congratulated the responsible union for recognising that penalty rates were crippling the economy and preventing people who want to enjoy their weekends, relax with their dear little families, from enjoying their weekends, relaxing with their dear little families. For what use is enjoying and relaxing if it doesn't involve handing your hard-earned to the sundry caring employers? And the sundry caring employers sighed relief and said this hard-fought slashing of wages and conditions by the union showed that penalty rates are crippling the economy and they will be able to exploit this admission when less responsible, anti-true blue Aussie, evil unions want to maintain crippling conditions. Note, listener, two important lessons here. A profits association of caring employers is good, 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 a public benefactor. A union is evil, 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 a public catastrophe. Although some unions, like the Young Casual Weekend Workers Union, is capable of redemption. And lesson two, potential customers must be allowed to enjoy the times when people want to relax and enjoy their time away from slave labour. Selfish workers who expect penalty rates for extracting that hard-earned by working when people want to relax and enjoy must recognise we now live in a 24-7 world. And no, no, there's no contradiction there. The caring employers and their parliamentary puppets tell us all that in one sentence, so it must be true. Wonder if that union's ever thought of negotiating its workers' wages and conditions in an upward direction. We mentioned last week how great negotiator Zion Supremo Benjamin, not another Yahoo, finally threw his hands in the air and at the, at the incalcitrance of the selfish land-grabbing non-people who wanted a non-people state to be on a bit of land somewhere. Circumstances have to change. Benjamin was all reason. Clearly, the non-people have to recognise the difference between a state, a country and land. It's the unreasonable demand for the latter two that creates an impediment to a sensible solution, to sensible discussions. Zion has no objection to a non-people state as long as the non-people stop insisting a non-people state also have a country and land. The Zion position hit a hurdle when the US of the UN of the US of the world expressed concern that just possibly Zion mightn't be absolutely serious about a non-people state based on the flimsy evidence that it said so. But panic not, listener. The difficulty was assuaged by the U.S. Armed Spokesperson. U.S. Armed Security Cooperation and Military Assistance will not be affected, he declared, causing Benjamin and the Zion establishment to shake in their boots with, with laughter. 
The Minister for Going Overseas all the time and being a perfectly good little prefect, Julie Bashup, the workers, rolled her eyes and hung the government out to dry. Well, dry off the mascara. Former Big Supremo Malcolm Wage Freezer rolled his eyes and let the government off the hook, took his last breath and the government breathed a sigh of relief. The hypocrisy of the week award, a walk-up start to those politicians of both major parties who praised his compassion for refugees, for asylum seekers. That compassion was balanced by his wage freeze, concern for the ill by wiping out Medibank, among other accomplishments, and earlier as Minister for Train Killers, sending train killers off to an illegal invasion to be bashed up by the Vietnamese, which of course generated that generation of boat people fleeing the evil communists for which compassion he was praised. Perhaps the current asylum seekers fleeing our train killers and other train killers should claim to be fleeing evil communists, which would soften the caring business class Socialist Party's unity ticket, unity ticket hearts. Oops, those old enough will realise I shouldn't mention communism and unity tickets in the same breath. Also bringing his, uh, his last, the sadly lamented Lee Warren Yu. Our former great and beloved Prime Minister Nuclear Hawk himself said Lee Warren Yu was a great bloke and a great man. Those who criticised the paternalistic and at times authoritarian style of government he developed, Nuclear wrote, might pause to consider the scale of the challenges he faced. Yeah, like, like some silly critics who thought maybe the odd election wouldn't go astray. Well, there was the odd election, just that anyone not planning to vote for Lee Warnew was serving their 20 years without charge in the slot, while Lee was adding their property to his ever-expanding portfolio, like his private golf course where Nuclear said he enjoyed intellectually stimulating conversations. Well, I suppose they could share a laugh about their penchant to sue anyone who even has a critical thought about them, another common thread between Nuclear Hawk and the dear deceased. Oh, an intellectual reminds me, the Caring Parent Logic of the Week Award to that shooter at the opening of the duck murder season asked why he took his dear little children to the fun, fun, fun sport. I want them to learn, he said between killing a few ducks, how to treat animals humanely. Huh? <laughs> Obviously another intellectually stimulating conversationalist Nuke and he should get together. Back to Julie Bashup, the workers who one hour mused that an idea by great Troubadour Aussie resource exploiter Twitty Nothing for the rest, that iron ore producers like him should agree to limit production so the price would shoot up was, quote, worth considering. But an hour or so later, as she hopped into the house before managing to extract her foot from her mouth, she heard economic guru Joe Hackey, the workers, continue their parliamentary love affair by suggesting Twitty's brilliant idea it might just be cartel behaviour, although why Joe would worry about that, I've got no idea. But anyway, Julie then decided it might not be worth considering, considering the proverbial was hitting the fan. I am not an expert on iron ore, she told us, but whatever non-expertise she does know about iron ore, it's obviously heaps more than she knows about cartels. Back to matters of evil unions.
As lovers of fairness in a society constantly under threat from the terrorism of evil unions, we have to feel for the poor True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review, for its esteemed Foulfax directors Jamie Puker, Gina Wronghart, Lockie Muddock, lovers of fairness all, following the negative press council ruling that a Capitalist Review headline back in August, 390,000 tugboat workers to strike for 40% rise and a story they would hold the country, and in particular the caring resource companies to ransom, was, the press council said, inaccurate, misleading and unfair. Just because they weren't earning 390 grand and were seeking a 14% wage rise over four years. OK, OK, a couple of small inaccuracies, but tugboat workers was accurate. Yet the bloody evil union complained. Well, rightfully, the Capitalist Review was livid and devoted its editorial Monday to telling us just how livid it was at the injustice of the ruling, which does more than set a low bar for what a media watchdog should bother itself with. Ignore the fact that the grammarian editor ended a sentence with a preposition, because the principle's far more important. Any proper judgment on this reporting, the editor points out logically, requires the views of both sides of the dispute to be considered. And the tugboat mechanics employer TK Shipping has not complained about the headline or the story. Gee, go on. (laughs) Well, it went on. In fact, the headline was based on TK-supplied information. Well, there's the injustice. How dare the press council listen to and or consult the evil union over the evil union's complaint when the True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review knew consulting the evil union was obviously a waste of time. Case closed. The bloody press council's a left-wing commie front. The press council fails a basic test of journalism, the editorial goes on, to check with both sides of a dispute. As a result, it gets mixed up over accuracy and fairness. See, see, it mightn't have been accurate, but it was fair to the both sides with which the Capitalist Review had consulted, the caring employer and the caring employer. It's logic run riot. So finally, even by their standards, the Capitalist Review response sets a new high or, or low, depending on how we look at it. Might have been better to publish the conclusions tucked away on the bottom of P2 and just shut up, let the matter lie. Oops, oops, also shouldn't say lie, just because of a couple of small inadvertent inaccuracies. Good morning. Hi, this is Liz Stringer, and you're listening to the Mighty 3CR on 855 AM and digital radio, 3cr.org.au. Yes, you are. You're back in the studio with Annie and Kim, and we've got Noah, Dr. Noah Brazil on the line. How are you, Noah? Good morning, Annie. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good, and it is Election Day in New South yes, Wales. Indeed. Uh, according to all the polls and the press, the election is a foregone conclusion, but we've heard that before in a couple recent instances elsewhere in Australia. and uh, I, I think that there might be some more. They, they're putting a lot of hope on this uh, man that's Teflon, the uh, Michael Baird. He, he exudes this uh, impression of everybody's uh, n- a nice young man's son. Yes, well, you know, that's the, that's the uh, facade or the, you know, the sort of public persona. But, you know, he is a very uh, conservative uh, Christian, he 
you know, it's quite interesting how um, un, how uncontroversial that is in in Australia to to wear your conservative uh, religious credentials on your sleeve if you're Christian, compared to, of course, other religious groups who are vilified in the public for uh, having a uh, sort of a religious political position, mainly. Well, but it's interesting because I was going through the um, uh, different uh, people who are standing in uh, this election, and I was really surprised at how many Fred Nile um, candidates are standing. Yeah, I mean, Fred Nile is just a, a constant uh, political entity here in New South Wales for such a long time. It does surprise me uh, that he's able to he's able to uh, gain or have as much support as he has around the state. I mean, it's not a huge amount, but it's clear his, his party and his views are present uh, many places. Um, I've seen a number of uh, as, as I've gone around, I've seen a number of um, candidates for the Fred Noel party in, in different seats, and it does. It always surprises me that you know in 2015 we still have uh, this sort of uh, very you know, sort of reactionary religious um, um, political party in New South Wales. But you know, I guess Australia has moved very far to the right. In the last few decades, and um, uh, people like Fred Nyland are probably not as far extreme of the major parties as they as they used to be on a whole range of issues. In fact, yeah. Hi, Noah. Um, I sorry. I wanted to ask you a question about what do you think are some of the similarities and differences between uh, the New South Wales election and the Queensland election? Because I understand that Mike um, Baird is not as on the nose as Campbell Newman. Was but no, no. it does seem to have similar dynamics. Sorry, I think his style is very different. Um, Campbell Newman, of course, was very much the sort of gung ho. You know, he, he framed himself as the man of action, um, and he did. And you know, I, I think in Queensland, his um, his neoliberal ideology was rammed right through, or his policy was rammed right through um, the privatisation of jails. The, you know, there was a, the sell-off of a whole range of things in very quick time, and in such a way that um, I think Queenslanders, who you know historically have been very conservative, um, and uh, and quite populist on a whole range of issues, I think were, were were quite shocked at the extent of the nepotism and um, and the sort of crony capitalism that um, Campbell Newman was was. Um, and acting up there, and I think also he—he, he, I mean, there were, there were a number of social issues which I think he got involved in as well. Which in New South Wales, the Liberal Party, um, I, I think, have been just a little too—I um, I don't know—I I wouldn't use the word frightened, but certainly just a little apprehensive about stepping into it, even though there is the Shooters and Fishers Party here in. New South Wales, which, uh, you know, they are a, a, quite a far-right party, if I can use that sort of uh, phrase to describe them. I think the big difference, though, is just the speed at which that um, that sell-off, that privatisation,
situation and and um, selling off of public assets and the stripping of the public sector occurred in Queensland compared to how it's been done here in New South Wales. Um, the speed at which... And I think we... O'Farrell was starting to become quite unpopular. Barry O'Farrell was uh, dropped by the party 12 months ago after um, it was found that he had received gifts from uh, corporate donors. Um, and there were some question marks about policy that then favoured those donors. Now, what's quite interesting is that in the last four years, 11 Liberal Party, Liberal National Party members have faced ICAC and have had to resign, compared to five from the Labor Party in the last 11 years of government. And yet the public discourse here in New South Wales is Labor is the party of corruption. Now, that has a lot to do with the strength of the Murdoch press in New South Wales, and I think that's one of the other big differences between New South Wales and the rest of the country, is just the, the power of Murdoch, especially with the Telegraph, to and, and the sort of uh, incredibly uh, vicious anti-Labor, anti-union um, uh, press attacks through that paper. I mean, just the headlines over the last few weeks as I've seen the Telegraph at, the, at my local coffee shop each morning, just goes to show how um, partisan they are. In there is absolutely no attempt to be, you know, so so-called balanced. That word that I hate because uh, it's just uh, as your um, little segment a few moments ago showed. It is really just an, a, a, a way of distracting uh, the debate when. Um, people don't like the the alternative viewpoint. As you say, the uh, traction that should have been uh, given to things like the ICAC uh, revelations and also the ongoing uh, nature of the uh, of uh, unease regarding um, selling off assets, but also a very interesting. Um, uh, piece around uh, the Chinese Development Fund where uh, the idea that uh, uh, the Chinese might have the uh, capacity to switch off Canberra. Yes, look, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm actually quite... I dislike I that campaign. Mm. I mean, I dislike privatisation. So the campaign that we keep public assets in public hands, I think, is a fair one. But to try to to link it to deep-seated racial fears about the Chinese and the Red Scare, I think is probably, for me, just uh, reaches into the sort of racist heart of Australia, and I dislike that in any sense. You know, and I, I do think, you know, the, you know, the union and the labour movement does have a long history of racism as well, um, you know, that goes back to the white Australia policy. And I, I'm not saying the people who framed the campaign were doing this consciously, but certainly for someone like me who looks at questions of race and the historical um, sort of structures that, that keep them in play, I just felt that that campaign really was aimed at trying to link the sale of privatisation to the sort of 
yellow peril, the sense of the, the and the old history of the white Australia policy, and I didn't like it at all. Um, I thought I think a much better campaign would have been to stick to the cost of privatisation and the sort of just the economic, um, really the economic um, absurdities of selling off profitable assets at a low uh, at a low cost to private entities, um, profit private profit making entities. I think that would have been a, a far better campaign for me than the one that uh, that was um, framed here around China, the fear of China. Um, I was going to ask about uh, the role of the unions campaign in the election in New South Wales, uh, because I understand that they were running a uh, New South Wales um, not for sale and doing door knocking, etc. Um, but they don't seem to be endorsing the ALP, which seems like a good sign. Yes, yes. I mean, I've, I've heard from people involved uh, that the grassroots campaign has been very successful and has raised uh, awareness of the problems around privatisation and the and it's been a much better campaign than the public one around, um, you know, the idea that China will come and own Australia, um, which I've heard, I mean, I've got to say, this discourse now that China is, you know, sort of pillaging Australia, um, you know, after years of being open to uh, British and, and US capital without any, without anyone quitting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, pillaging. <laughs> now this sort of public discourse that you know China is buying up Australia, I, I think, does suggest that we haven't left those old white Australia policy um, or ideas behind. Um, well, it's interesting you should say this, Noah, because um, I have covered various stories uh, in relation to the uh, 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 New South Wales. Uh, Union movements um, campaign regarding uh, the sell-off, and yeah. actually, it doesn't have any of the anti-Chinese elements in it at all. And in fact, a lot of the visa stuff uh, is not around um, having a go at uh, the people who are from overseas who are coming here to work, uh, because they're considered to be compatriots. But that everybody who works here, this is the line, this is the official line, that everybody who works here should be getting the same conditions and the same wages. Yeah, I look, absolutely. I, I think when the... Uh, I, I'm just saying that there has been a... Well, it's interesting. I wonder where it's coming from. I wonder if it's yeah, another... Look, well, I think it's coming from... I think it's... A lot of it's coming from the our uh, sort of shock jock... Um, a shock jock uh, radio journalist. Yeah, right. And those types. Uh, but it's getting mixed up. Yeah, that's because, right. I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's sort of overlapping into or spilling into uh, sort of the the sort of wider dis- de- debate about privatisation. So people are mixing that message. I mean, there, there was, there has been a campaign over last week by, run by um, I think, the CFMEU here in New South Wales around China, specifically Chinese uh, uh, um, um, acquisition of our electricity mm. um, assets. I mean, that, that's been a clear campaign. That's yeah, the yeah. one I'm talking about. You know, I'm being very specific. That's the campaign. And if it's oh, yeah, no, that was the one that hit the, um, the, the online media, for example. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
absolutely, yeah. And, you know, there's been some posters around here as well that, you know, have sort of, you know, connotations of the sort of yellow peril that, you know... Yeah, you know, and what you're saying is, and what you're really saying is that the neoliberal message is being mixed up with a sense of fear and insecurity that uh, locals are feeling and it's expressed as racism. Volatile. I mean, the thing is, the right-wing shock jocks, you know, this issue of foreign ownership of foreign workers is also one that the right-wing popular shock jocks play, um, uh, you know, uh, play, play, play with all the time. Yeah, that's right. They're always talking about the foreign menace. Uh, but, of course, they're not looking at it as, uh, you know, sort of any of this through the same lens as people on the left who are looking at it clearly as, you know, how is capital restructuring our society in different ways? and trying to benefit by, uh, you know, sort of creating new competitiveness in the workplace and re- reducing, you know, conditions and wages and, and, and a whole range of other things. Well, they're confusing people as to who the enemy is. It's like uh, right. using the re- refugees as a, uh, yeah. a, I mean, a cat's paw. I mean, how ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely. No, no. That, and that race politics is... You know, it, it, it's elite driven. There's no doubt. You know, in my mind, but once it's picked up by workers, it, the the message is mixed. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, and and you know, it sort of it feeds in with their own apprehension and anxiety about you know the tenuousness of their lives. That, that's exactly right. And I'll just tell listeners that they're listening to Solidarity Breakfast with Annie and Kim, and we're talking to Dr. Noah Pasil from Macquarie University about things in general, the, specifically the New South Wales election. Now, they, you, as you say, the mainstream media are making it clear that uh, people feel like they, uh, in New South Wales, that they like their teddy bear, Michael uh, Baird, and so everything, business as usual. In fact, he looks like a younger version of the one that they got rid of, Farrell. Yes, and I mean, the other thing, of course, is that, you know, the, you know unlike um, unlike Cameron in particular, and I, I'm not so much sure, I'm not as sure... You mean Campbell? Are you talking uh, about Campbell? Um, Campbell Newman, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Um, Campbell Newman. Our mate. All these Tory types that blend into one for me... Um, <laughs> Sorry, I'm only joking. Um, um, Campbell Newman, he doesn't have the brashness, and there are some policies that he's prog- more progressive on. Such, I mean, he is, for example, he, he has spoken out about the uh, contradictions of his Christian uh, beliefs and the Liberal Party policy on asylum seekers. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, his father also was a. a you know, criticise the Liberal Party for its hard line. Oh, that's interesting. So it's some other yeah. sort of... Oh, they're obviously going off to their, their uh, promotional um, uh, outsourced organisation, uh, working overtime, trying to rehabilitate the Liberal Party as uh, into some sort of humanist uh, construction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, you know, but the thing is that in terms of economic policy... There's no difference between, you know, across the Liberal Party, there's, you know, this is one of the worries I have about Malcolm Turnbull. Um, you know, he would be a far more effective yep. Liberal Prime Minister than Tony Abbott because he'll give ground on social issues and he'll, pre- he'll present a, you know, a, you know, sort of a public persona that he's a progressive individual, but on um, workers' rights and um, 
on the economy and on all those very important material issues, he will be, um, uh, you know, incre- he'll be an economic rationalist to the core. He is. He's a former banker. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I think the media will give him a much, much better ride than they have Abbott, which is also Absolutely. dangerous. Now, the only good thing about it is that now that he's looking a little older, he looks really weird. He looks like a chook, a plucked chook. And, and I think the other thing that has worked against him is that he he's had to, as part of the sort of Liberal Party solidarity at the moment behind Abbott and the attempt to try and stem the the huge flow of um, um, discontent, uh, popular discontent against him. Um, uh, uh, Turnbull's had to give uh, on some issues that I think he would he would um, otherwise not have, and this is around media, um, uh, around. Uh, uh, the metadata and media yeah. stuff, which I think, as a you know, as a liberal, as a true liberal, um, he he doesn't want to see the government involved in. Mm. Now it's interesting. There was a, a quotable quote in uh, one of the uh, blogs about the New South Wales election. Someone said that uh, even though Michael Beard might, you know, have a more respectable face, that actually the Liberals stand for uh, taking from the needy and giving to the greedy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the transfer of public money to into private hands in Australia in the last decade and a bit has just been phenomenal in a whole range of areas. I mean, asylum for me, asylum seeker policy is largely about it's yes, it's about wedge politics, but it's also largely about uh, public funds transferred to pri- into private hands. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, the whole uh, the whole detention centre and um, asylum. Oh, I know. Oh, they're talking about debt, and I was just looking at the amount that, you know, G4S has ripped off various governments around the world and their Absolutely. human rights I mean, abuses. You know, these private companies are making a monster out of... And, you know, I, I haven't been able to trace the dots, and I don't know, I haven't seen much research that has, but I'm, you know, intuitively, I am certain that companies who are benefiting from um, from the detention of, of you know... Of, you know, quite a small group, small number of people, as we know, um, are involved in some way through uh, sort of funding of think tanks or, you know, sort of mouthpieces um, in the sort of um, um, sort of heightening of, ten- of, of concerns and fears around asylum seekers. I would not be surprised if there's some relationship between, you know, the sense, uh, you know, I don't want to actually name anyone because I don't have any um, any evidence to support it, but some of the think tanks and some of the the sort of uh, public voices around asylum seekers as a as a security risk is is probably being supported by those companies that are making a lot of money out of it, and that's certainly been Circo's practice in the U.S. With, yeah, no, that's uh, exactly right. In fact, there's a big campaign going on at the moment regarding this. Yeah, who, who's yeah, making money right. out of it? Absolutely, and, and you know the other thing is, you know, the, the the increase in the amount of money that's being spent on the military and the, the sort of militarisation of Australia is just a further public tr- uh, transfer of public money to private hands. Military okay. industrial uh, complex. Yeah, absolutely, and you know, the, I, I've seen some some data recently that suggests that we're almost spending twice 
on military and security twice as much um, uh, than we were 10 years ago. Oh, that's interesting. And you know, of course, $79 million a day goes to our defence forces. Also, the commission, the commission of Audit was predicting that by the end of this current government that they'll be spending $10 billion a year on detaining refugees. That's just so loony. Yeah, yeah. Competitive for that yeah, money. If start, yeah. yeah. If you start looking at how much money is spent on detention and on the sort of the military-industrial complex more, more widely, the sort of security and, and um, military expenditure and detention and the whole thing, you know, we are, some predictions are we're spending up to about 10% of GDP. So what you're really saying is that if people were to a- able to liberate themselves from their sense of personal fear, then it would be cheaper. It would be much, I mean, that, that's a huge, if, that, if those figures are correct, and I, you know, I'm only going on what I've read from other sources, um, if those are credible figures, then you know, that's somewhere around 80 to $100 million a year, that, a billion dollars a year that could be going into uh, hot education, healthcare, uh, public employment, um, you know, mental health, dent- dental care, uh, um, indigenous communities, you know, you know, supporting lifestyle choices, as um, <laughs> our, our good prime minister says. You know, no, they, t- to be serious, they could be going into um, into key areas of, of social welfare and, so, and society building that would have lasting positive effects for this country rather than the sort of um, sort of populist, reactionary uh, and, and very dangerous, I think, um, a, a sort of jingoism that uh, all this uh, sort of securitisation and, and risk-building uh, or, or fear-creating uh, discourse is producing. And that, you know... I, the long-term effect of that is we be, will become more like America, which is a terribly, I think, in some places, not entirely across the country, but in many places, is a highly aggressive, um, individualistic, and um, and um, cul-de-sac country. Cul-de-sac. Historical cul-de-sac. And on that note, we'll have to leave you there, Noah. We didn't get to Tunisia, but we will. Um, and uh, happy. Uh, Election day. Yes, I'll be heading up to the booth very, very soon. Well, make sure you make your vote count. Yes, well, I'm in a very, very safe mm. Labor seat. So, oh, good. Mm. Um, yes, so, anyway, but... Uh, it could yeah, be worse. Very good talking to you. And yeah, thanks, I Noah. I wish us luck here. <laughs> I do, I wish you luck. Let's hope everybody's uh, more intelligent than, than the Murdoch press. Yes, hopefully. All right, thanks. Thank Bye. you very much. Bye. Bye. So, um, right, okay, here we go. Here we go. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, I've just, <laughs> I've just been shown something incredibly unhelpful. He's just written, written down the wrong frequency and shown it to me. <laughs> Things is very. We have silence, please. This is for radio. Come on. Yeah. Right, here we go. Hi, this is Jay Wilgus Esquire from Public Service Broadcasting, and you are listening to 3CR Community Radio on 855 AM on your dial. Please subscribe. Good now. And you're in the studio with Annie and Kim. We've come to the end of the program today. Did you enjoy your first program, Kim? Yes, very much. And speaking to well, Shay to, Shay to begin with and Noah, it was um, fantastic. Yeah, that's great. So uh, we've got to remind you what Shay came in for. She's the uh, Victorian. 
Victorian uh, convener of the uh, refugee... Uh, the Victorian, uh, the Refugee Network Victoria. That's it, because all, all, they're all in different orders. But anyway, what she came in to tell us about was the uh, Palm Sunday March, which is tomorrow, 2pm, State Library in, in um, Melbourne, this is. Uh, there will be ones in your own cities, uh, and there are indeed ones all around the world. Uh, there's going to be music from 1.30, uh, State Library in Melbourne. It uh, kicks off at 2pm, so be there or be square. And uh, also a very interesting thing that the Refugee Action Collective, uh, six hours for six years. I mean, if you don't want to, if you want to this afternoon for the um, Refugee Action Collective, you can go down to the car park at the uh, uh, Trades Hall Council uh, corner of Ligon and Victoria Street, Carlton, and help them with their banner making for tomorrow. Uh, But um, that starts at 1pm. After you finish listening to us, having your breakfast and pottering around a bit, you can go down to the uh, car park down there and help them with banners and generally socialise. But uh, they're also running this thing called Six Hours for Six Years, which is an action starting on Wednesday the 8th of April, 12pm to 6pm, at the Immigration Department corner of Spring and Lonsdale Street. There's going to have speeches, very impressive speakers. David uh, Mann from the RILC, Trevor Grant, Tamil Refugee Council, Olivia Ball, Remedy Australia, Elizabeth O'Shea, social justice lawyer, and and, and further people. Uh, and it's around the notion of uh, raising awareness of... Uh, uh, of Australians, of the people who have been put into detention under ASIO secret assessments, secret assessments, uh, saying that they are going to be kept indefinitely and they want people to be aware that this is just not on. So Palm, Palm Sunday rally tomorrow, 2pm uh, State Library in Melbourne, uh, Wednesday 8th of April, 12pm to 6pm, six hours for six years, outside the Immigration Department in Melbourne, here Fabulous speakers and uh, show your displeasure. That's the end. Goodbye. Yeah, have a lovely morning. Yeah, and coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.